The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. The 110th Psalm, verses 1 and 2. This is the Weekly Wire brought to you by Christus Rex, a member of the Stoic Christian Affiliates. Hey everyone, this is C.G. Billiot. Here's the Weekly Wire for the third week of January 2023. Top headlines. Punishing Ivan Provorov for Pride Night Stand would have infringed on his rights. This is from Larry Brooks of the New York Post. Uh, Quick context, uh, Ivan is a defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers and NHL hockey team. Uh, and so long story short, you're going to hear of in the details here. Uh, he took a stand against the franchise's move to wear these LGBTQI alphabet soup um, jerseys uh, for one of their nights uh, previous week. He stood out saying it was against his values as an Orthodox Christian. So let's see what this author has to say about it. The concept of tolerance and inclusion practiced by those folks who mounted social media soapboxes to demand that either the Flyers or the NHL suspend or fine Ivan Provorov for his refusal to participate in the pregame warm-up Tuesday, in which all of his teammates wore a pride-themed jersey to mark the organization's celebration of the LGBTQ community, apparently means not means tolerating only those who share their beliefs and excluding those who do not. Gracious, that was a long sentence. I, I'm not kidding, y'all. You can go look this one up. That was all in one sentence. Anyway. These are people who apparently believe that employers not only have the right, but also have the the duty to discipline employees who do not embrace a social justice movement endorsed by the company. Would they believe the same if a team owner demanded that all players wear warm-up jerseys celebrating right to life? Oh, okay. So this is interesting. I wouldn't expect this from New York Post. What if, in addition to inviting the former Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin to drop the ceremonial first puck in advance of the Rangers-Flyers game, which has happened in 2008-2009, season opener, Philadelphia owner Mr. Snyder had outfitted his players in jerseys with McCain-Palin 2008 artwork as the logo? Oh, but those are different. One person's social cause is often his or her or their neighbor's competing political movement. NHL teams have no right to compel players to support social endeavors, whether they, you, or I believe these initiatives are righteous. The right to liberty does not end at the locker room door. Isn't that the argument so many of those calling for Provorov's banishment used in support of Colin Kaepernick's right to take a knee during the national anthem? Oh, but that was different. This guy's pretty good. No, it was not. The same principle that allows folks to rail about Provorov over, all over social media is the very one that allows Philadelphia defensemen to make a personal choice about which he cause, which causes he wishes to support and which he does not. To those hysterics who suggested that Provorov might want to go back to Russia if he does not support the LGBTQ community, that kind of reminded me of being told, quote, love it or leave it during the Vietnam protests in the 1960s. The Flyers and NHL handled this one correctly. Provorov made his choice. It does not matter does not matter whether it was religious based or not. No one has to like it. No one even has to respect it. That's the part of the freedom we have. That even extends to Provorov. If you want to eliminate that, be careful of what you wish for. Be very careful. 
Let's see. I think that's it. He's just listing other examples of which uh, players in the NHL have made this kind of stand. Uh, but unfortunately, some of these were uh, scrutinized and the players were punished. Either way, solid take from uh, this guy, Larry Brooks. Uh, I, I agree, of course, that uh, it, there's all kinds of hypocrisies in the, from the social justice folks about this particular issue. Again, uh, Provorov is an Orthodox, as in a Greek Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox Christian. Uh, the statement he made, you can see in the press crops, he, he held firm to that. He said, hey, this is my religious belief. That's it. No more questions. It was a fantastic interview. Highly recommend. However, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't point out this reality. Clearly, uh, this guy Brooks is he's got he's got, you know, what we can refer to as classic conservative ambitions. Basically, if we really are consistent in our view of freedom uh, and freedom of speech, then, of course, an individual like this should be able to stand for something or stand against something with no opposition. The problem is, uh, and where the left clearly can read the room better than some conservatives can, is that there is no neutrality. Free speech uh, is a myth because we always have some form of blasphemy laws. In this country, believe it or not, it used to be such that you couldn't speak blasphemy against Christ. That used to be judicially punished. Now, if you speak out against the real God of our flesh, the God of self, the God of sex, the God of you name it, uh, that's blasphemy and you can be punished for such. So socially, there will always be blasphemy laws. The question is, what kind of blasphemy laws do we want to administrate in our society? The myth of free speech uh, is that it will be without some kind of social consequence. Um, but constitutionally speaking, of course, we know exactly what this guy's getting at. My point is that you're going to see more and more of these issues pop up as, Lord willing, Christians remain faithful to our Christ and as liberals keep quote unquote progressing into further for further degradation. So let's give uh, prayers for Ivan uh, and his stand and, and pray that many Christians continue to stand up in that way. Blast from the past. All right. So these segments will be brought to you by the Christian Almanac, a product of the Cumberland house written by Dr. George Grant and, and Gregory Wilbur. So please, wherever you can find one, get a copy. Maybe we can go through it together. Found mine on Amazon, pretty cheap. I can go to a used bookstore. They're all over the place. They're recommended to me from my church. Uh, essentially, we'll review the present week outlined in the Almanac and feature some of the more glorious details listed. Some of this previous week, uh, Thursday, January 19th, really stood out. So on that day in 1736, James Watt was born, the inventor of the condensed steam engine for whom the unit, quote, the Watt, was named after, if you remember those from your uh, high school physics class, uh, or maybe you had to do electrical engineering like some of us folks uh, from the school I went to in college. Gracious, it was not a fun time. On the same day in 1807, General Robert E. Lee was born. A little known fact, he was actually offered the choice to command the Union Army before what the Almanac calls the Uncivil War. He chose instead, as we all know, to command the Army of the Confederacy. Imagine how different the textbooks would be if it had been the other way around. Can't imagine that. January 19th, 1809 and 1813 saw Edgar Allan Poe and Sir Henry Bessemer's births, respectively. One, the depression-plagued author and poet. Uh, maybe some pieces you know, like The Raven. Uh, the other, the surname for the process which converts iron into steel. This day really stood out to us amidst all the others because it clearly proved itself to be a day for pioneers, trailblazers, and, if nothing else, one that's associated with highly influential folks. Love them or hate them. So, hey, 
if we're being good Christian folk, we're going to have a lot of kids and maybe you'll have one of those kids on uh, January 19th. Maybe they'll invent something or be famous, be remembered in an almanac like this. Uh, but for now, hope you enjoyed. Let's move on to an update on the Christus Rex blog. Uh, but first, a quick ad. Brothers in Christ, here's a quick word from the Stoic Christian Affiliates. Are you tired of struggling on your own to set goals and maintain accountability? Are you looking for a group of men who could push you in sanctification towards Christ our Lord daily? Do you want to learn from their wisdom, practice their techniques, and develop your own? If so, it's time to join the Stoic Christian Fellowship, where men are trained to become men of God. Click the link below, go to stoicchristian.com backslash fellowship backslash, or click the Stoic links on the Christus Rex blog page under the Learn More tab. Blog and other platforms. All right, guys, let's get into what we've been showing on the page, the Instagram page, the blog, etc., and what we expect. Hashtag Abandoned Dispy. All right, so the campaign's uh, continuing, uh, and whoa, it got wild last week. No kidding. If you go look at the uh, part two post from last week, we brought in 236 comments. Let me let me say that again. 236 comments. Folks, we don't have that big of a page. <laughs> the posts usually get less than 10 comments, so the Lord clearly got the conversation going. Part three dropped yesterday. I pray it answers some of the concerns of the critics, uh, but if not, the truth doesn't change. The most frequently demonstrated behavior I've noticed from hardcore dispensationals is a complete disregard for hermeneutics, history, and implications. Hermeneutics, hermeneutics is the study of how we interpret scripture, the science of interpreting scripture, if you will. It doesn't bother them at all if you bring up the fact that no dispensational theologian ever seeks to take scripture on its own terms. A great example of this is the Olivet Discourse. So we're talking Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. They hide behind the defense, quote, what are you talking about? We're taking scripture literally, word for word. You post-millennials are the ones annotating the passages, importing foreign ideas to the text. There were many exchange uh, over these allegations, specifically with respect to these passages in the comments. You can go take a look. Um, yet no, no effort was made on their part to ask what the text intends to mean. Um, so, for example, we in the partial preterist world, so A-mills and post-mills, uh, we're always asking, we believe scripture interprets scripture. So we ask, okay, well, how does scripture intend to be taken? Um, was Christ not responding to a question about the temple? You can go look and you, you can see every single time he was uh, in the three synodic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, were not all the things he described afterward fulfill, fulfilled before the destruction of the temple in AD 70? They were even really challenging things like uh, Matthew 24, 14, the gospel must be brought to all nations. That too was fulfilled uh, before the destruction in AD 70. Uh, we ask these questions all day long, and they won't even for a second dare to investigate them for themselves. Uh, the bias is in fact a stone wall. They counter-accuse us to be biased, uh, and we have to remind them too that we were once former dispensationals, pretty much everyone involved in the campaign. Uh, in other words, there is hope if you pause to investigate. Again, us all having that background, there clearly had to be a moment where we looked into these passages ourselves and it changed. Um, and I have high confidence that if they ask the Lord, again, what did he mean in those texts? They too uh, will be changed. Their minds will be changed. History. 
It doesn't bother them at all if you remind them that the entire theological system of dispensationalism is foreign to the majority of church history and is younger than the U.S. Constitution. They don't care at all if it has never been taken seriously by Orthodox, meaning traditional Christians, since its, con since its conception. They don't care at all if time after time the, quote, pastors and, quote, teachers who teach these ideas have proven themselves to be false prophets uh, per the standards of Deuteronomy 18. So I'm looking at guys like Hal Lindsey, Dave Hunt, Jesse Duplantis, these big mega preachers who sell tons of books, make millions of dollars time and time and time after again. Uh, they say, hey, on this year, this is going to happen. On this year, this is going to happen. Well, folks, Scripture tells us if someone's regularly doing that and they are regularly wrong, uh, they're a false prophet. And Deuteronomy 18 even says to put them to death. Um, so the, this is how seriously we need to take these things, particularly when they're uh, blaspheming the word, blaspheming uh, the church. And lastly, implications. Dispensationals refuse to look around, like like right now, like look, look around the state of the church in America. They refuse. They refuse because if they do, they'll have to admit that dispensationalism has been made a laughingstock of the church, has made a laughingstock out of the church, rather. Uh, it's contributed to our weakness, distractions, and defeatism. This is partly because their doctrines command these kind of refusals, but it's also partly out of defense. They know, they know deep down, if they took the implications of dispensationalism seriously, the cultural and societal uh, and ecclesiastical considerations, if they took these things seriously, they would leave the doctrine altogether. They would leave its precepts. These and are and more are the takeaways we have observed from the hashtag Amanda Dispy campaign. You can still join by posting on the Defeated Doctrine on Saturday, January 21st and 28th. Challenge your favorite pastors to join in using the hashtag. Pretty please, uh, someone please get pastors Joel Webin, Dale Partridge, and uh, Doug Wilson to join in. That would be phenomenal. Um, and again, it would keep the conversation going. These are these are topics the church needs to figure out heading into uh, this year and, uh, and and really another decade that's looking to be a mess. And we need to know uh, how we're driving the vehicle on the route of the destination that God has paved before us. Um, next thing, many lessons from Joseph part one. Uh, this is an upcoming post on the abundance of truths revealed by the story of Joseph throughout the end of Genesis. I, I'm really excited for this one. I've been doing it with the uh, year long uh, reading plan. And it's just Gracious, there are so many theological topics uh, poured on throughout the story. So God's sovereign grace and justice, the nature of the covenant, uh, biblical themes are presented, which continue on through Revelation. And lastly, my favorite, biblical typology practically explodes. Uh, essentially, we have Joseph, the promised seed, as Lord over the world. We see God sovereignly ordaining this position despite incredible affliction and using it for the benefit of his people. God unapologetically has stirred the entire world for his people. Nations have suffered. People have died. Nations have thrived. People have lived all on account of his people, on account of his ruler, Joseph. Remember the famine. God gave no apologies for the fact that th perhaps thousands died. Entire nations were crumbling. And at the same time, Egypt and the nations that flocked to it were blessed, all, literally all because of the family of Jacob, the family of Israel, the ruler, Joseph. So the gospel correlations speak for themselves. This is clearly all a picture of Christ, his kingship, and what God desires to do in history. If, you're ex if you are as excited as I am to explore these passages together, then stand by. We're hoping to drop them this next week. Lord willing, please pray that... Uh, 
we get to it over here, work for all of us has been kind of insane, but the Lord will provide. And that's going to do it for this weekly wire. It's time for the weekly word. The verses which began today's show, Psalm 110, 1 through 2, changed my life about a year and a half ago. As the Lord was maturing me in the word, I wanted to search about every nook and cranny of its margins like a bloodhound let loose. I came to ask the questions, what is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament? To my amazement, it was not, quote, love the Lord your God with all your heart, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 following. It wasn't a prophecy from Isaiah or the others. It wasn't even a verse from Genesis. It was Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. And Yahweh said to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I put all thine enemies beneath thy feet. How profound. How profound that in all four Gospels, the final questions in Christ's trial before the Sanhedrin were oriented around his kingship. How profound that it was his kingship that was identified on the cross. How profound it was his kingship he proclaimed before he ascended. How profound is it that he ascended to the Davidic throne and continues to reign. Christ is king. Christus Rex. Our prayer here at the blog is for you and your family to explore the riches of his righteous kingship this year and for years to follow. So wherever you find yourself and whatever you find yourself doing, remember nothing is wasted in faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Sin is dead. Death is next. And Ave Christus Rex.